0: Welcome to episode 62 of the energy balance podcast where we teach you how to live without constant hunger and cravings fatigue brain fog poor sleep and other low energy symptoms by maximizing your cellular energy i'm jay feldman i'm a health coach and independent health researcher and joining me again today is my good friend mike fave mike and i have been studying health and nutrition together for a long time now and mike also draws on his experiences from working within the healthcare industry today's episode is part two of a not so typical series on this podcast where we won't be discussing health and nutrition as directly but instead we'll be detailing our health journeys if you haven't listened to part one yet of this series i'd highly recommend you go back and do that where we discussed under eating fad diets and our discovery of the bioenergetic view of health. And then we'll be continuing that discussion here in part two, where we'll be discussing how we dove into the bioenergetic view of health and the many mistakes we made along the way. And if you are looking for some episodes dealing more directly with health and nutrition, then I'd highly recommend going back and checking out any of the previous episodes of this podcast. And if you are newer to the podcast, then I'd highly recommend checking out episodes one through seven where we took some time to build a foundation as far as the bioenergetic view of health is concerned and in today's episode in particular we'll be talking about the many mistakes that we made after finding Ray Peat and the bioenergetic view of health we'll be talking about our refeeding periods that involved eating over 5000 calories and 700 grams of carbohydrates per day we'll be talking about our experimentation with various supplements including thyroid B vitamins fat soluble vitamins pro-metabolic hormones, antibiotics, methylene blue, and various other supplements, and also what we learned along the way with this experimentation. We'll be talking about how long it took for us to see major improvements and stability in our health, which is probably quite a bit longer than you might expect. And we'll also be talking about why nutrition alone is not enough for optimal health and what other factors we should consider and we'll also be discussing our experiences in authoritarian environments, especially within the education system and the medical system, and our experiences working to shed that dogmatism. To check out these show notes for today's episode, you can head over to jfeldmanwellness.com podcast, where you can take a look at the studies or articles or anything else that we referenced throughout today's episode. And if you are struggling on any of the various diets that mike and i discussed throughout this series maybe you're jumping from one to another or you're not having the results that you were hoping to have on that diet or maybe you're experiencing various symptoms that we described or that we experienced ourselves whether that's insomnia or cold hands and feet or low energy low libido depression uh, anxiety joint pain bloating weight gain histamine intolerance allergies psoriasis uh, and viral and fungal issues or if you're dealing with any other low energy symptoms or any chronic health conditions, whether that's autoimmune issues or diabetes or heart disease or any other chronic health issue, then head over to jfeldmanwellness.com energy, where you can sign up for a free energy balance mini course, where I'll explain how these different symptoms and conditions are really caused by a lack of energy. And I'll also walk you through the main things that you can do from a diet and lifestyle perspective, to maximize your cellular energy and resolve these symptoms and conditions. So to sign up for that free energy balance mini course, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com energy. And with that, let's get started. And so that kind of transitioned to the stage where we decided like, to kind of go in full peat, take out the starch, take out the dried fruit that we didn't think were those things were helping us. We took out the pufa, we stopped doing salmon, we started doing milk, we started doing juice, we started doing you know, the honey and sugar and everything dished olive oil. Yeah. And we started doing more seafood, like more like uh, shellfish, like more shrimp, shrimp yeah. less muscle meat. And there, we had a lot of, like, it was kind of like another kind of mixed bag because on one hand, I think it was a lot better than the high starch. Um, yeah. And especially for me, but we were also doing a lot of dairy at that point. We started, you know, we got excited about the, or got into those recommendations of, you know, two liters of milk a day sort of thing you, you more than me, I kind of kept my milk to a more moderate intake, but you were having a lot of milk and that caused some problems.
1: Well, the thing is for me, I think what kicked me off this high starch is when I got like that skin infection Mm -hmm. that, and okay, now looking back, I didn't, I think like at that time I thought I had an infection. It was like a, like pretty bad, like rash, um, and like skin peeling and everything like, and I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought it was just I thought I had gotten a skin infection, but I eventually now I look back, I was just like, I formed a like pretty bad reaction to something with the plantains. Mm. Um, but I had, I, there's, I had gotten an issue with the plantains and whatnot. Like I was like pretty bloated with them and especially the, especially the like green plantains. Like I was extremely bloated all the time. And like my, I was like having like, like a decent amount of diarrhea with them with how much I was eating. Mm -hmm. And then I remember like developing like really stiff joints and tendons, like my ankles specifically, like I would wake up in the morning and I would have to like, it would hurt to get out of bed because my ankles were so stiff. And I was just like, my belly was very, I remember having like my belly like extremely bloated, like Mm -hmm. very, very bloated and being really uncomfortable with that. And, but I was getting much stronger in the gym and I was putting on a lot of muscle, but yeah, when I had gotten the skin infection, it took I thought it was an infection. Eventually I realized I've just started I developed some type of allergic reaction or something to the plantains. Because now every time I eat bananas, like it triggers whatever was going like it it can trigger like a similar not to the extent that it was, but a rash. Um but essentially, yeah, like I, I once I took out those the plantains, like I gotta stay off starch for a little while because I started getting symptoms with it. Mm-hmm. And I started realizing that some of my symptoms in that phase were from the starch. And so I'm like, Oh, what if I, at that point is like, what if I try sugar? And like, what if we move over fully to peat and try sugar? Cause we were already doing dried mangoes and stuff. So it was like, what if, I, what if we just went to sugar instead of the starch? Mm-hmm. And then that's when I, I think I added in juice, but now at this point, so we added in juice and then we also added in tons of granulated sugar. And then we were still eating fruit. It was like melons and oranges. And we weren't eating like as much mango, um, mm-hmm. and I remember just like we feeling a lot better after that, and like making like a full turnaround from when I had the infection and everything. But it, then we started finding this is where we started finding the low fat stuff because um, I didn't hop right into to dairy right away. I remember we went to sugar first, and mm-hmm. then I started because I knew I had issues with dairy prior, and I was like very hesitant about in adding in dairy, and then essentially it was like, we, then I started going really low fat. And I remember at this point in time, cause I was seeing it on the forum and like Pete had talked about low fat and Danny had talked about low fat. And from my bodybuilding phase, they had talked about low fat. So I was like, let me try. So then I went really low fat and higher sugar. And then I had like, when I was doing starch and fat, my libido was excellent. And even when I was doing high fat, low carb or keto or intermittent fasting, my libido was excellent. When I went on this zero or it wasn't zero fat, but like very low fat diet, I remember like I couldn't get an erection. I didn't have morning wood. I had no libido. Like I was seeing at this point, like I was dating different girls when I was in college, like just sort of casually. And I like, like I just, it just completely fell off the map. Like I couldn't, like one of the girls I was with, I was like, I was very attracted to and whatnot, but like I could not get like a full erection at all. And so I like couldn't figure out what was going, going on at this point. And then like, since I had done so much experimenting previously, I was like, all right, let's just see what happens. Like at first I was a little worried, but then eventually I was like, okay, let's just see what happens. But I also started getting like lots of, uh, hot, like adrenaline rushes mm-hmm. and I started getting like brain fog and I started getting, um, like my workout started to suffer again with this. So, um, yeah, that this, for this, I know you were doing lower fat too, but I think I went way lower fat than you did. Cause I also wanted to see like what would happen. Cause people were reporting X, Y, Z result. So I was like, there's only one way to find out. So I was like, so I, I did it. <laughs> I basically guinea pigged myself and it was bad. It was like a, it was a bad experience. I don't think I'd ever go like super low fat like that again. I was just, plus we were using tons of sugar to make up the difference, like granulated sugar. And I definitely think that that was a problem as well. Um, like we were adding like tea i remember was like counting like 50 teaspoons of sugar to my juice just so like a reach my like caloric cal- my caloric requirement or else i was super hungry and then we were spooning sugar when we like you said on the couch when we got back from school i remember like feeling better mood wise with sugar and everything but like mm-hmm. those other things started to take a hit when i dropped my fat really low
0: yeah and i don't think i went low fat like you did um i, I maybe i did to an extent i don't remember Well,
1: low fat compared to where we were
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we're, we're coming from high fat, you know, keto. Yeah.
1: But I had gone to the other spectrum where I was right. like, I was at like 40 grams of fat a day, mm-hmm. which definitely wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so it was from there that
1: you started doing milk. Is that, is that when well, that Well, After the low fat experiment, I was, I didn't, I didn't necessarily link it to low fat yet. So I figured something else. I was like, maybe it's the sugar or whatever. And so like, then I played around with a bunch of different things. And then eventually it was like, well, let me try milk. Like maybe it was minerals. And so that's when I hopped into the milk with, like we hopped in the milk together. But I I know I started with whole milk first, um, just because I liked whole milk better uh, than skim milk. And so, yeah, then that started the milk phase. (laughs) Where you were having a gallon a day. Like I... I well, had not start cup out of as a gallon. I like ramped up to, to that amount. Right, right. But I remember I, I like started with, you know, a glass and then it was a glass with every meal. Mm-hmm. And then I like, then it was two glasses with every meal. And then like, I started to remove some protein that I was eating because of the high phosphorus content or whatever, whatever I was thinking then to balance my calcium, the phosphorus ratio. And so then I started replacing meals with milk. And then it was like, then it was like oh let's try milk and orange juice so like just a whole bunch of mini experiments in there with all different stuff and then it was like let's try two percent let's try skim milk let's try milk with honey let's try different types of milk let's try different vendors and just like trying all those different types of stuff
0: mm-hmm. yeah and you so during this time you were still experiencing symptoms i was i mean i still had some symptoms but i was doing way better when i first started bringing in the milk and the juice And taking out the starches and taking away the omega threes. Um, I remember we also did like kind of a gut protocol, like a bunch of supplements thinking that we both had some gut issues, which I think we did and a ton of pro metabolic supplements as well, like high dose aspirin and niacinamide. And I was, you know, methylene blue and we were starting to get into some of those hormones as well and still working out. And so I, I, at this time, I was feeling like better than I had ever felt, um, for a while, like energy was way better. My general like feelings of well-being and vitality were like just on another level and in a way that I never would have even described them before. Like I never would have even recognized that that was an issue. But I remember like I remember starting to just feel good all the time and like the sun was brighter sort of feeling um, another like another issue that I had had chronically was congestion and allergies and those had cleared up a lot at this point as well after being issues from when I was a kid and I, I even got allergy shots for a couple you know, several years. Uh, when i was younger because my allergies were so bad and even after that they were still bad Um, and so that went away and my cold extremities like cold hands and feet that i was getting all the time the blood sugar dysregulation was getting way better like i was i remember doing really well during that period for for a while um and we also started going to the gym a lot less like we started listening to it like we got into that whole relaxation like listening to our bodies like we we were so tired of forcing our way through the gym through these long workouts and it would start out as like we would go to the gym for the workout and then you would always cut it short because you were tired and i would never have done that but because you were doing it like thank thankfully you would do that because then i would stop too or i would you know we'd start to go less frequently then and there would be a lot of times where you would go and you would just start off with your warm up and that would be it like we wouldn't finish the, with the workout we'd just do the warm up and be like no i'm
1: tired um, yeah. and then we just chill out and just like go outside in the sun and on the field and talk and maybe do yeah. like a little yoga or something
0: right right yeah and just yeah And it was such a great mind state to be in. Um, And I remember this was also, so like we had ballooned up a little bit before this toward like 220, 215, 220. And then Mm -hmm. around here, I know I was around like 205 weight wise. And I was lean. Like this was definitely like the most muscular and lean. Like that combination, uh, the most that ever had been for me. And like, this was while working out less and eating way, way more. Um, But I know I had resolved a lot of my gut issues or at least improved a lot of them at the time. And, So many of my symptoms had gotten way better at this point, but that was not like, and you too, in a lot of ways, but you had this whole journey with the milk that I remember carried on for like maybe six to 12 months, uh, where for me, like my lactose tolerance, like kind of like you said, like I had to start off small, um, but it got a lot better. And to the point where I could wake up in the morning and I would have like 16 ounces of milk mixed with like sugar and collagen without an issue. Um, and I would have it throughout the day as well. I, I another interesting thing or just something to point out during this time too, I think I see this so often with clients, this point where they see those stress hormones start to drop. And I remember being ravenous at this point. Um to the point oh, yeah. I don't know if you remember this too, but we would I do. <laughs> prep the night before like I would we would prep the night before like 60 ounces of for me it was 60 ounces of orange juice with a few spoons of sugar and collagen. And I would also do 60 ounces of milk with a few spoons of sugar and collagen. And I needed to have them ready the night before so I could have them as soon as I woke up because if not, I would get started too late on eating and my blood sugar would be all wonky and I wouldn't be able to get in enough food for the day. There was like this antagonistic relationship between like metabolic needs and how fast your digestion could be. And I had—I remember having to use so much sugar and really easily digestible foods to get enough fuel for my metabolism because otherwise I would just feel too full and I couldn't eat enough. So from like the time I woke up, so the end of the day, everything would have to be spaced out in a way where I was eating like every two hours as much as I basically could comfortably to where I wouldn't have any digestive symptoms, but I would keep up with my hunger and metabolic needs. And it was good. Like it, it worked really well. I felt really good at that point, but I was, yeah, I just remember being absolutely ravenous and needing to be so on top of eating all the time. And I, I've seen that kind of similar phenomenon with other, like with clients in a similar place. Um, and I... And I we'll get here but later down the road this shifted to a much more normal place where like i didn't if i didn't get my next meal it wasn't like the end of the world i wouldn't have to eat as frequently like this got a lot better but at the time it was actually really really helpful to be eating that much
1: yeah it definitely took time i remember being i remember when we were coming out of well i remember when we first introduced carbs with starches and stuff and we said hey we can actually have as much carbs as we want i was extreme like People thought it was funny or everyone thought it was funny that I was gonna eat like six plantains a day or five plantains a day for a period of time. But the thing was, is for a period of time, that's how much I was actually hungry for. Cause coming from like like intermittent fasting and keto, like being starved for that long, like it took me like five five thousand, six thousand calories to like feel full again mm-hmm. and to like, to recover from what I did to myself, like being so low for a period of time. And then I remember when we got rid of starch, and we introduced sugar instead of starch, just like the amount of orange juice and and oranges and other fruit and melons and like sugar and mm-hmm. whatever else. like I just started like hammering super hard because I was so hungry for it. And I hadn't gone super low fat yet. Mm-hmm. And then for me, I think I was lactose tolerant like right away. Like I didn't have issues with milk with like like anything like that. and I had known that I was lactase persistent beforehand. Because I had had 23 and me testing, like that was like a gift one year I got from my dad for like my birthday. So I Mm -hmm. knew I was lactase persistent and, but the, and my mom was lactase persistent too. She didn't have any problems with dairy, but my dad had like terrible issues with dairy, um, particularly not necessarily because the lactose, but more because the casein. Mm -hmm. And so I was lactase, lactase persistent, but I was casein intolerant. So I had like, like responded very poorly to casein. And so basically I went on and this, this is sort of like, it's out of our timeline, I guess, but like for probably like a year to two years, like you said, I tried all different types of dairy. Mm -hmm. I tried cow dairy. I tried raw cow dairy. I tried different vendors of dairy. I tried goat dairy. I tried at one point I tried camel. I tried, um, kefir. I tried raw goat dairy. I tried at one point I was literally considering like, seeing if like maybe the issue is with my microbiome. So like mm-hmm. I did a bunch of like protocols on myself to see if that would make a difference. The one time I actually used some antibiotics, I made myself worse. <laughs> so, and that took a couple of weeks or like a, a couple of months actually to recover from. And then at another point in time, I was like considering like maybe if I like try to somehow get breast milk again, it will fix my microbiome and then I'll be able to tolerate milk. And then I tried the milk protocol at one point Mm-hmm. which is like just endless amounts of milk for a period of time. So I tried that and, but I like added honey to the milk then. Cause like I wanted to still make sure I had adequate carbohydrate intake. So like I tried all this stuff and essentially it came to that. I just wasn't tolerating milk and it had nothing to do with lactose and it had everything to do with casein. Mm-hmm. The one thing I will say though, is out of all the milks that I had that I tolerated, I tolerated goat milk the best, like by far goat milk was the best for me. But the casein effect, like the brain fog, the lowered motivation, the like it made me put on a lot of water weight. And like my libido was completely, completely trashed with milk. So I've I've and then I started reading about the effects of caseomorphins and the opiate effects of milk. And some people they break down the caseomorphins into XYZ. So basically I determined that I was like not tolerating the casein. And I stopped doing the I stopped doing milk. And then at this point. For me, after doing milk so long, I had issues with my gut. So this is where I essentially hopped on like a carnivore esque diet uh, to to fix what was going. Because I throughout the whole time I still had some digestive issues. Mm -hmm. Whereas you got better with like with the milk stuff sort of right away. Yeah, you. I remember.
0: I remember you had like a lot of bloating. Your like hands and feet would be cold. I remember. I mean, there was like this conference that we went to, and I remember especially then like bringing you bringing your gallon of milk and adding a bunch of salt to it. And just being cold and like not really like terrible, in a great yeah. mind state and bloated, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But eventually, what I realized though is like it took throughout all this time. I didn't realize how much the gallbladder surgery had negatively impacted my di- impacted my digestion, mm-hmm. and so I had I had like lingering effects from that. And eventually, I found out that I they left staples inside my gallbladder surgery. Uh, that's I think that's normally done. And I had developed an allergy to the staples. The, I had issues as far as like if I eat too much fats, like causing my bile acids to reach my colon and, and cause like a bio, like bile acid diarrhea issues like that. And then I also had a lot of scar tissue in my abdomen from mm. the gallbladder surgery that I actually wound up working out manually myself, like with a very deep massages and then also going to an active release technique practitioner to break some of that up for me. So the, that made huge, the breaking up the scar tissue made a huge difference and then sort of figuring out how to balance my fat intake for what was going on in my gallbladder. And then as far as the staples, that's still a work in progress and what exactly I'm going to do with that. But I remember like for a while, I actually went on a carnivore diet and the diet was literally meat. And I didn't do zero carb at this point because I was, knew that that wasn't a good way to go. Like I'd already been through the low carb thing and I knew that I needed sugar. So what I did was is more like an elemental aspect where the carbohydrate that I had was just like cane sugar. Mm-hmm. It was like cane sugar soda for a period of time. And then um, I did well with that, but I eventually got some issues from not having enough vitamins and minerals. And then like I also from eating way too much meat and not enough the fiber and whatnot, I started to get like little bits of constipation from it or like just some upset in my, I felt like in my colon. So then I started adding in, um, I added in my carrots and I was tolerating those cause I always had. And then like slowly as I worked out the scar tissue and I was on that diet, um, I also realized when I was on like the meat and cane sugar diet only <laughs> that I was getting like B vitamin issues because I started to get like numbness in my toes. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 lost the sensation in the tips of my toes, and I realized that that was related to like having not having enough of certain B vitamins. So when I supplemented the B vitamins, that recovered. But I realized that like that wasn't a that wasn't a long term strategy that was right. going to make sense. Right. So I I started to like try and introduce different foods, and that's why I started moving to fruit juice and whatnot. And so like through all of that, I determined that it's not carbs that were the problem; it was starches for me and that i could digest fruits and sugar just fine and as long as the fruits and sugars glucose to fructose ratio is fine because like i still had issues with mango and um like really high fructose things like too much honey that was something i learned from my my dairy days when i was trying to do a lot of honey um and so essentially like i each each step of the process that i went through i learned a lot of different things um like like little nuances like that that have allowed me to be able to make difference for people if they have different foods or like, oh well you're if you did this what if you tried that, but yeah I remember that that I turned the corner later on than you and that's when I got rid of dairy and I moved more to like a paleo esque diet but it was higher carb like much higher carb from only fruits uh, with very little starch. And then I could have vegetable fiber, but like, oh, like I could co- eat cooked greens, I could eat uh, raw carrots, I could eat like vegetables like that, but uh, or like cooked cauliflower or cooked boiled broccoli didn't bother me either. Like I can eat those fine, but um, like I couldn't do starches at all. And then like my mm-hmm. protein sources were meat and seafood and I wasn't very big on dairy. So as far I constructed my di- diet around that, the only thing that I've ever had issues with nutrient wise has been getting enough calcium. Um, just because a lot of calcium supplements, like I haven't found one that I fully like the way I feel on it. So that's still a work in progress. Uh, that's still something I'm I'm figuring out. But besides that, like that's where I turned the corner it was essentially high sugar paleo esque diet with uh, adequate, like adequate carbs, adequate fat, and then protein from meat and seafoods. And then obviously avoiding PUFA, avoiding a lot of PUFA, uh, whatever I get for omega threes is from whatever seafood I eat. And that's fine. And it's usually like the crustaceans and shellfish and, uh, like cod or, or flounder or fish like that. And then whatever omega six I get is it's actually like very low. And that's just whatever's in the fruit or the meat that I eat. And the meat is like, is very much. I don't eat any, really eat any white meat, but even when I was doing paleo before, neither of us really liked chicken that much, uh, when we were doing all the paleo intermittent fasting stuff. Uh, and I remember when I was doing all the bodybuilding stuff and all the, uh, the plant based or like health conscious diet stuff, I didn't really like chicken that much. I felt Mm -hmm. like it was dry and disgusting (laughs) and the same thing with Turkey. So I've always been one for red meat. That was always something that I digested well and I did well with, and I actually like we're. For me, I feel the best when I have it in my diet, pretty much every day. So yeah. that's when I turn the corner. I know you turned yours was a little sooner when you introduced more dairy. Sort of. So, so, so for one,
0: for the grilled chicken, the grilled chicken thing, I I remember I would still force that was my lunch throughout high school. I don't know if it was like throughout all four years, but I would force a grilled chicken sandwich with like it was like maybe had lettuce and cheese on it. So it was like pretty dry. There was like it was just and bread um i mean and i liked it but it was more in the name of health than anything else
1: no, i never liked the chicken and and i just, never liked dry. cold cuts yeah
0: yeah <laughs> but so so you know i had kind of turned that corner relative to where i was before but then there was actually a, a period very soon after maybe a few months after with a pretty decent amount of stress and really and like a lot of lack of sleep and it kind of set me back a little bit um but not only that, the, the, like when I, so I kind of thought what you thought, right? like I thought that I had turned the corner at that point and everything was kind of smooth sailing till now. And then when I went and looked back at my log, uh, cause that was five, six, was that six, seven? Yeah, six and a half years ago or so. Um, and then when I looked, Back in my log, I realized that it was not smooth sailing after that. Uh, not that it was bad, but I just like all of these symptoms that I've been dealing with would come and go. So my lactose tolerance varied for years, where I would sometimes have issues with milk on its own. I would just have to have it with food. I would have to have smaller amounts. I needed it with coffee. Um, some, you know, I would go through periods without milk. I would go through periods with milk. I did the goat milk for a while, which was better. I did goat kefir, which was something that I think actually helped a lot um, along the way yeah, so lactose tolerance varied a lot. My digestive symptoms varied a lot too, like various amounts of bloating with different, sometimes it was different fruits, sometimes it was certain dried fruits, sometimes it was uh, starches. I would have bloating, sometimes I would have pain, I would have gas. So like That was something that varied considerably over the years. My congestion and allergies would vary a lot too. And that was generally a pretty good telltale sign that something was going on if I was getting stuffy. And so that would happen I also had histamine symptoms for a while, like itchiness on the back of my neck, and sometimes at some other spots. And I would get hives, even, Um, and that would be like when I would be in a certain state, and then I would have a lot of quote-unquote high histamine foods. Those kind of symptoms would come up. Uh, My hair was still thinning throughout that time. It's hard to tell again, like especially because it's in the back. It's not something I could see very often. But it seemed like it it slowed down or stopped at points, but maybe would kind of come back at others um the and and that kind of well i'll I'll get to that later um energy would come and go as well like when when you don't have those stress hormones driving you you notice those fluctuations a lot more and that happened for me where that just general energy that feeling of well-being would vary uh over the over the years blood sugar would vary a lot too i was still getting adrenaline symptoms sometimes throughout the day the cold hands and feet Tolerating coffee was a huge thing. Where I would try all different types of coffee. I tried in different ways, and that would kind of vary. Same thing with thyroid. I would I was using small amounts of thyroid over. You know, sometimes it'd be T three, sometimes T four, sometimes desiccated, and my tolerance to that would vary too. Where sometimes I wouldn't be able to sleep at night, regardless of when I took it, or um, I would just have stress symptoms throughout the day, like stress hormones and blood sugar fluctuations, and that would sometimes happen with other supplements too. With the sleep, I remember. Like anything that was generally pro metabolic whether it was like a drop of vitamin E or vitamin K or B vitamins, anything like that would uh, prevent me from sleeping at night, like being able to fall asleep. That was something that would happen. Um, I would also get viral symptoms too, like sores around, like in my mouth. Um, I had fungal issues that would, that would vary as well, which, you know, could have also been correlated with the congestion and the allergies a little bit. And then also on my feet. Um. And then I would have some like various skin variations too, like a little bit of psoriasis, um, some like minor amounts of acne very would vary. My weight would vary a lot as well. Like I would go through periods where I would hold on to a lot more weight, like sometimes 20 pounds. Like my weight would fluctuate up and down 20 pounds in a year, and I wouldn't change that much diet-wise. I wouldn't really change anything macro-wise. I mean, it would vary I might experiment with some things, but it was never directly correlated. It sometimes it correlated with like the season, but sometimes it seemed to correlate with stress or like something else entirely like periods when I couldn't sleep. Um, I would never really like, I got past that phase of like restricting when my weight would go up. Like I definitely like was able to think about it better, but sometimes my weight would fluctuate from like one eighty five to two Oh five and kind of, it always stayed in that range, but it would go from one end to the other. And I would like get clothes fitted like a suit or something. And then I wouldn't be able to wear it or it'd be way too big or way too small. Um, but it always just varied like, Based on these different experiments, we would run with different types of foods, um, different supplements, different time like weather, time of year, stress. So, as you were talking about before, those are the kinds of things that have informed like a lot of where we are now, and and the kinds of things that we tend towards, and the kinds of things that we stay away from, or or tend away from It tends to be from these years of experimenting and seeing fluctuating symptoms along the way. Um, there's I do want to say that there's there are quite a few things that seemed to always help and help push things along when I could tolerate them. So that would be a lot of those pro-metabolic supplements, whether it was using small amounts of thyroid or B vitamins or um, methylene blue or something like that. I found those to always be helpful when they were used, right? Sometimes they were harmful too. And again, sorting out that context. Yeah, exactly. Like Sorting out that context was something that came along too. Like Like so many people, they see the forum and they're like, oh, this person had this experience and then they try it and they have the opposite experience or something. And yeah. yeah, so like having that experience ourselves of like knowing how different something can be just between you and I or between us and somebody else uh, was very informative for sure. Um, one thing that I found to be really helpful was low dose prescription antibiotics, particularly tetracycline. Um, again, not necessarily advocating this for anybody, but just throwing it out there it was something that that's what helped you. Yeah. Yeah. Helped me a lot with like energy and congestion and sleep. Like I would feel like like energy and well-being was way different too like i would feel way better when i would use those small amounts for a period of time you know a few weeks to a month and i did that several times over over a few years um and kind of like the kefir the kefir seemed to help too but it was never quite as uh clear of a difference like the tetracycline um eating enough was huge and so you did mention the low fat and i never went low fat like you did but during that point when you were realizing how much having enough fat was helpful i remember emphasizing fat a little more and i and i don't think it changed you know maybe it was going from like 25 percent to 35 percent or 30 toward 40 percent, something like that um uh, and that did help a lot for me too like i definitely felt better with higher fat and like making a point to get a lot of the saturated fats my cholesterol was too low that was part of the key as well like part of the clue that i needed to get more fats in and, and i was already you know people say like fructose helps increase cholesterol but I was eating, you know, 600 grams of carbs, mostly from sugar, and my cholesterol is like 160, um, maybe even in the 150s. So, having yeah. saturated fat with that helped bring the cholesterol up. Were you going to
1: say something? Yeah. I I just, there's a bunch of things that come to mind too when you talk about. So,
0: then go for it. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Like for me, the like I used tetracyclines, I used higher dose, mm-hmm. and I hurt myself pretty bad when I did that, mm-hmm. and I learned a lesson about, you know. Doing things too much, doing mm-hmm. things too strong, like the dose is important. But for me, what made like a huge difference was uh natural desiccated thyroid. Like I felt a huge difference from that. I still use it, I still like it. Mm-hmm. Uh it like it changed things for me. When I first with the high fat stuff, when I came off low fat, there was a and when I came into like carnivore and all that, like there was a period of time where I needed a lot of fat to feel good. And then eventually like I started feeling a lot better. After like I slowly could I slowly was able to lower down my fat like at one point I was doing like 200 grams a day just because like that's what I felt like I needed and I was just following that and I felt a lot better and like mentally I was doing great and then eventually I like, lowered it down more and I was able to tolerate slowly so there's a period where that was helpful for me like really helpful for me and then the uh another thing that I think was I don't know it's. I'm gonna go on another tangent with that one. I was sure. gonna talk about like different lifestyle things, but that's fine. Yeah, for for me, I think stress was a huge one, and mm-hmm. that was related to my job and working in the hospital and working like 14, 15, 16 hours at a clip, or even up to like 12, 13, 12 between 12 and 16 hours at a clip
0: mm-hmm.
1: was something that was like pretty stressful for me and caused like a like that had a pretty negative effect on my health. Mm-hmm. And then working night shift was something that had a pretty negative effect on my health that I still like, like my sleep patterns have still been slightly messed up ever since I worked night shift for like a whole year and a half. So some of the lifestyle things like had a, where i had like pretty strong effects on, on my health, even besides the diet and like all this, all the supplements and stuff I tried, um, those, some helped with that stuff, but some things like also made like didn't help and actually made me worse. And it was depending on like the context I took them, like if I took a whole bunch of cortisol lowering supplements, like say I took an aspirin and some progesterone and pregnenolone and DHEA and um, some vitamin C from camu camu and magnesium and whatnot. And I took that like in the middle of my night shift and I still had to stay up the rest of the night and like do work, like actually do like hard work. Like if my patient was crashing, like, that had a noticeably negative effect on me cuz i crashed my cortisol and i was staying up all night and then i like i had nothing to run on like i was just i was struggling like i don't know where i was pulling this energy from but i that would like really mess me up mm-hmm. so like i noticed things like that uh and just different supplements affecting me at different times but there was a period of time where i needed really high fat and to feel good and then eventually i was able to lower down and like do better without with less fat and then also having Thyroid, like using thyroid was something that was helpful for me, uh, especially over time and like titrating it the way Broda Barnes and Dr. Pete have described that was really helpful. And then B vitamins are also things that were really helpful for me, but I did find that in certain times if I took them, they actually were stressful because they pushed the gas pedal and I didn't have, I didn't have it. So those were the job stress. So the, the B vitamins were pretty important, but mm-hmm. yeah, again, all the supplements is the determining on when you're going to use it and then also lifestyle factors like stress are i think really significant like me loathing my job and loathing having to be there for x number of hours a day and like like that had a pretty negative effect on me uh over the long term and it's just now that i recently got out of it and i feel a lot better with that so and i'm still like trying to recover from some of the stuff that i did but yeah that was the night shift and the and just like working that and not liking what i was doing was like pretty negative for me and pretty negative health wise and no amount of diet and supplements was fixing that
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and it was and there was some like learned helplessness sort of situations there too i know for you like just feeling stuck i mean we talked to, and i'll get into this for myself too because stress has been a huge part but like the financial stress and needing to do things for money that we know are sacrificing other areas of our life I and mean, it's such a to say it's a stressful place to put you i mean it doesn't like it's it's you're so confined, you're so stuck, you're so cornered when you're in a place like that. It's a very uncomfortable place to be in and it takes away all of your your feelings of like openness and creativity and and um, like a lot of the things that we talked about really coming about when we did transition towards a lot of the repeat stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was the thing that helped with that, though, is just like creating a plan out and doing something about it was something that was helpful for me to get over it. But yeah, the, that environment, like it wasn't that I had to work for money as much. It was that what I was doing to work for money, I absolutely loathed. Right. And like, I didn't agree with what I was doing. And I was very like at my job, I was cornered because I had to do things a certain way based on protocol mm-hmm. and like moral, they were like moral and value judgments there that were in conflict, like on a pretty regular basis. And then just the conditions that I was, that I was in where it was like, I'm understaffed on the floor and I have to do X, Y, and Z tasks in X, Y, and Z time, but I could never do it all on time. Like it was mm-hmm. impossible to do it all on time, no matter how good I was, no matter how optimal the system I was, I created at work was no matter, you know, what I knew and how I organized things. Like I was always, I was constantly falling short. Like I was constantly losing the battle that I was going to like, so three or four days a week. And that was like pretty shitty to be honest like i just i absolutely hated it i absolutely like i remember coming home and just getting in these huge arguments with my dad about it and him just telling me it's like you just got to do it for now and just me just being like i absolutely loathe this This is like this is absolutely i hate this environment i hate the situation there's a lot of like terrible things that go on there that i don't agree with uh and this is like this uh, for context this is working in the hospital as a nurse Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff that went on that like people don't know but that goes on behind the scenes that like were just huge moral and and ethical conflicts for me and just the way like some like people are treated there and just the environment in general was just antithetical to my belief system and my understanding of things especially having gone through some of that stuff Mm -hmm. when i was in high school and and the surgery and all that and then also like experimenting with all these different supplements and all these different uh diets and strategies and whatnot just like seeing people suffer and get like bad advice and get told the wrong thing or get told things that just aren't true and then suffering even more not having anything like that i can't say anything like i'm completely closed down like i'll lose my job it'll ruin my reputation i won't be able to get hired again and i needed to eat like having to make those judgments were just kind of were like i think negative for me for a period of time like pretty negative So the life, those lifestyle situations were, were serious. And then the not sleeping one is still like, I don't think I'd ever recommend anybody ever do night shift after like, after doing it for the year and a half, just because it was like, even to this day, I still haven't gotten my sleep schedule. And this was almost like two years ago. I still haven't like hammered out my sleep schedule perfectly because my body was so used to staying up all night long. It's like now I've like moved things back and I haven't been able to switch it back completely where I'm going to sleep at like, like I haven't gone to sleep earlier than, I don't know, probably 12 o'clock in years. Like I just, and even if I went to sleep earlier than 12 o'clock at night, I would still wake up at like early in the morning and uh, feel like I just took a nap only. So it's just, that was really, that one was kind of like a an, an, uh, pretty negative thing for me. And I'm still like trying to trying to fix it.
0: So, yeah. And for reference, when we were in college, we were like, I mean, we would go to sleep around nine o'clock some nights. I mean, obviously on weekends we would be up late, but yeah, we were like not, you know, we you used to be like an early night, uh, early morning
1: kind of guy. So Yeah. And then when I, well, then the thing is, is when, when I switched back onto a regular shift schedule, which was during the day. I had to wake up at like four 30 or 5 AM to go to work. But, and this, this is, this is partly what ruined the circadian rhythm stuff. Still is I would, the days that I would work, I'd have to wake up at four 30 to five to go to work. And then when I would come home, like some days I wouldn't be able to eat the whole shift. So I would like, I would have to, I would want to eat more to like make up that difference. Mm-hmm. But when I get home from work, I couldn't eat. Like I needed to just do nothing. And right. so I would I would just lay down on the floor or on the couch after some of the shifts and I would just stare at the ceiling and like take like 20 minute nap or something and just lay down and be useless for, I don't know, for however long, for a couple hours. And so then I would wind up eating my that meal. So I would get home from my shift at like seven, probably more like eight o'clock. And then I'd take like three hours to just unwind from and like calm down from everything I did during the day and then i would have then I would wind up eating at like eleven thirty or twelve, and then I would go to sleep at one to two. The problem is I had to go back to work the next day or i had to um or like uh, the next day I was off and then I would wind up sleeping from like twelve o'clock if I ate at eleven till like eleven or twelve the next day and then i would have to then I'd have that day off, but the next day I would have to go back to work, so the next day I would have to wake up at five or four thirty but I had woken up that previous day at at 12. So I couldn't go to sleep until 12 again or one again. So it just been flip flopping all over the place sleep wise. And then there's been, there's been a few days since I stopped doing that or like there's been times where I got seriously burnt out on nursing that I just had to take a couple months off, like go mm-hmm. work somewhere else, go do something else, go change what type of nursing I was doing. Cause the hospital like environment just cooked me. Mm-hmm. So like I would take a month off and go do a job somewhere else. And And essentially, (laughs) what would happen is that I would, uh, I I would um, like get like two or three days of being able to like wake up at a normal time and go to sleep at a normal time, and like just how I felt as a person was so different. Like I wake up, I have energy, I'm excited to like go about my day, and I get so much I get so much work done as far as like my the research or reading or writing or whatever it is. And my workouts go so much better, but I just, I haven't fully been able to come out of that cycle yet. Mm-hmm. So I think that, I think that's important to talk about like how important sleep is. I think like I've just, I mean, and all this stuff that I've gone through with everything, I always see it as a lesson. Like I, for me, I see it as a lesson. It's like, now I know how important sleep is and why do I know it? Because I really screwed up my sleep cycle quite a few times from work, from whatever I was doing. So Yeah, that's it's been something that, and I can either from doing night shift, I know strategies on how to manage circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. I know how to like, I know how to make little tweaks here and there to deal with deal with not sleeping enough, or how to recover from some of that stuff, and how to make the difference. It's just a lot of it takes like a lot of discipline, and when your schedule is constantly rotating, it's kind of hard to to do that because it after a couple months of trying to be extremely disciplined. But being tired from what you're doing with work, it's sort of you sort of lose that excess willpower. It's sort of like <laughs> you're just like I just need to sleep today, and I don't care about my circadian rhythm. Because for a while, I would I would go to sleep at twelve, and I would still try and wake up that day at five thirty, so that mm-hmm. I kept the same schedule consistently. But after a couple months of waking up consistently at five thirty and getting like a consistent you know five hours of sleep, like I couldn't do it anymore, and so there's Sometimes it's just <laughs> like you and then you sometimes there's just it's kinda hard to, to deal with, but yeah. yeah, I learned a lot of lessons about sleep from night shift and then from my most recent um endeavors with nursing.
0: Yeah, sleep and, and stress. And so there was I, I did have a, a semi-equivalent period myself. So circling back, like I know I had mentioned all those symptoms that were kind of coming and coming and going from you know when we first really started doing the whole the whole, you know, diving into the whole repeat thing. And so that happened for about two years, really, where those symptoms were really fluctuating a lot. And then there was kind of like a, a jump forward stability, And then about one year after that, um, things were much more stable health-wise for me. So the reason why I just wanted to point those things out is because that was things that I was surprised by when I went back and looked at my log, like the fact that I was still experiencing whatever symptoms it was, you know, three years ago or. You know, three and a half years ago, um, and things were still way better. Like I knew that I was still way on the right track, but um, you know, some things were still lingering considerably. And after, so it was about three years in that for me, health wise, things really became much more stable. Where even through this these periods of stress and lack of sleep, it didn't affect me anywhere near as much. And a lot of those symptoms wouldn't come back anymore. Um, so the reason why I wanted to put that out there was just because i think the timeline is helpful so you know it's so hard to be patient and it's so you know when when you're dealing especially with significant symptoms which for the most part ours weren't so bad like we weren't dealing with any intense i mean when you were younger you had intense pain but like later on we weren't having intense pain we didn't have severe autoimmune issues we weren't having debilitating brain fog or fatigue like we had symptoms that were uncomfortable but it wasn't um right. as intense as it could have been and so a lot of times when people are in that you know, are dealing with things that are much more uncomfortable for them. They just want to be there already. And I think it can be helpful to recognize just that it takes time for your body to adapt to a new, like a new environment, right? When we're creating this energetically favorable environment, our body has to adapt to that and increase its own thyroid activity and its own pro-metabolic hormones and shift out of the stress state. And those things take, take time. And, you know, we talked about our history and how much we depleted ourselves in various ways. And that was, you know, maybe for you know, 20 years or so until we started jumping into some of the repeat stuff. And other people have done that for 30, 40, 50 years, maybe not to the same extent um, or maybe to the same extent. But so with those things in mind, these things take time. And that doesn't mean that in years you can't be seeing dramatic improvements along the way, every step of the way. But to expect it all to change all at once, I think, is just a recipe for for like disappointment. Um, yeah. So so. I just think that's one thing that's helpful to keep in mind. Um, but I do want to mention also when it comes to like stress and sleep, the like stress with work was definitely something that I had. And and there was the same kind of thing like this financial stress and st- starting a business and not having any stability there. And there's, I mean, there's people who have done like entrepreneurial endeavors before know like it's really hard to create boundaries and you can just work yourself to death like from morning to night um and i definitely fell into those things and you know a lot of ups and downs along the way that had made it really tough and definitely took a toll stress wise mentally you know a lack of so like definitely was a lot less active socially and um yeah just like various aspects of things and there was a point where i you know i had to get another job to help um support things business wise and that you know cut into my sleep and in talking about that i know you were meant you kind of alluded to this how much sleep affected you mentally and your outlook and everything i definitely noticed that like shifts in personality with a lack of sleep um i think i've said this before but like sense of humor shifts and just brightness goes down and just like excitement about the day is is so much less and it's
1: just don't have that that kick to to get stuff done you just have it's like a get like a laziness about you or just like uh And everything is just like,
0: it's coasting. You just have to, you end up coasting through the day. And I think, and that, and I know I've said this before and we've talked about sleep and I'll link to those episodes, but it's so easy to get used to that as the norm. Like you, it's, it's hard to recognize how different that is from, especially if it's been a long time, it's hard to recognize the difference there. Like it just becomes a norm. Um, but yeah, so sleep was huge. Like stress was huge for, for many years for me, um, in that same way with just various aspects of business and and all of that um and yeah along the way we you know still experimenting with diet and supplements and yeah um you know there's always small things that we're trying to continue to improve i know you talked about like your hair situation before and and um yeah so i like i know i mentioned my like the whole hair thinning in the back situation and maybe that was more of a maybe that was it seems looking back at the timeline that that was brought on more by the lack of eating like the, the low calorie restriction, like heavy restriction malnutrition sort of uh, environment plus maybe the low carb not helping. And that seemed to kind of stabilize in the back there. Um, but just the hair overall, like still like thickness hasn't necessarily changed um, or at least improved. And in the front, like it's, it's, I know for me, like it started to recede slightly. Um, and I know you talked about this a little bit too in in that episode that we were talking about with um, with hair loss in your situation. How, there, of course, like there's a genetic predisposition there as well. I know at this age, my dad was a lot more bald, <laughs> <laughs> it's like almost
1: completely bald, right?
0: Yeah, and pretty U shaped at this point. Huh? You yeah, know, that, that U shaped uh, hairline, like pretty significantly. And, like, his brothers and father all have the exact same U-shape and all, like, had it very young. And so, I am I mean, who's to say, like, how I compare to that and, like, what that's due to and everything. I mean, there's so many kind of questions there uh, or, like, guessing there. Like, there's so little um, empirical work that we can go from. But, yeah, I mean, those are, like, they're tricky things and and as we're kind of alluding to like we're still not perfect we're still working on getting our environment closer and closer to perfect but as we talked about in that previous episode there are always sacrifices that we're making for other areas of our lives and we try to do that we try to be we try to put ourselves in a position where we need to do that less right like you talked about how much of like how much nursing has been like such a sacrifice for you in that way and um, giving up your sleep schedule and like long shifts and how that affected you not only like stress wise um, and like of sleep sleep wise just because of the job but also the morality with it and everything and that was a choice that you made because again I, kind of, I was kind of talking about like that feeling cornered but like that was your option for a way to make a living there wasn't a clear other option at you know at the time and that was just the best thing for the moment and and yeah. so
1: i had to pay my bills right exactly it was either don't have anywhere to live and don't eat or yeah yeah or like or work or or work and don't like what you work doing and you know you know it's not saying it's the worst situation cuz i only had to do it 3 days a week right or like sometimes 4 days a week but yeah. so i still had like all i had still had a lot of time off but at the same time like it was still like a huge drain and i just the question is who had it's not who has the worst situation out of them all like i don't care about that argument i don't it's not to compare to somebody else whose situations worse starving children in africa all that stuff my question is always, why are those situations even existing like that? Like, we know better at this point. Why are we doing this? Right. Why are we creating these circumstances for ourselves when there's much better options at our disposal? Yeah. Right. If you know, and like, there's, there's tons and tons of research, research showing the issue with working more than eight hours, especially without breaks and whatever else, which is extremely common in nursing. You can work 16 hours easily without taking a break to even go to the bathroom just because of what you have going on while you're there and then like there there's known issues with those long shifts there's known issues with time stress in jobs mm-hmm. and there's known issues with urgency in jobs and there's known issues with like ex- excess number of tasks and short staffing and it's like despite all the research and despite all the known best practices no not a single place I've worked has even considered any of those factors Right, everything is just comes down to at least, at least in my experience, and this is one person's opinion. It's just bottom line. What, how, how are we going to make money here? How is this going to be? How is this going to make the corporation money? We need to staff the. Full, we need to. We need to fill the beds. It's like a very common thing that you hear. Like the, that room needs to be filled. This room mm-hmm. needs to be filled. You need the patient needs to be so like. And it's like there's just no like it, and it seems a lot of it when you're there just seems like so common sense, right? Like it was a couple of places I've been, it's like, you're starting a new floor. You like, you have, you don't have a team there yet. You just open the floor where you're at. Why aren't you overstaffing the floor to start so that you don't have an understaffed floor with entirely new team members there, new nurses who don't know this floor, all, and everyone there who doesn't, doesn't know what they're doing and you don't, and they're all short staffed. It's like, that is a terrible situation for the nurses and for the patients on the floor. And it like all of that, like, I don't get what happens in the higher up levels. I'm sure there's something to do with the amount of like they've calculated specifically how much money and energy can be spent in whatever process. And they're just going to make it doing that. But yeah, it's like the entire environment it just doesn't make any sense. Like and there's tons of research to, research to support it, but it doesn't matter what the research says and all that stuff. It only matters like what happens to the hospital's bottom line there. But it's like, even in other environments, it's like, why are there people starving? Like, what is the actual root cause? Like, why are we not addressing that? Why are we sitting here and making, oh, my situation's worse, your situation's worse? It's like, let's just fix everyone's situations. That's sort of how I see it. Like, what's the common theme behind them? Like, right. What's what's the strategy to fix them instead of focusing on the problem? Right. Yeah. And I, and I get what you're saying. You're you're
0: just kind of starting off just like, we're not trying to play victim card here. Just explaining. Um, the situation yeah. And, and yeah it's not competition or anything and obviously everybody goes through these situations um and various circumstances and that's why we're trying to shed light on that uh i do i just wanted to point out that it is a, i don't know thought provoking that a hospital's incentive is to want to have beds filled as opposed to have beds empty that's i think that's just a
1: you don't make money if the bed's empty right yeah
0: which obviously like yeah obviously kind of a conflict of interest there as far as money versus people's health but you know that aside kind of circling back to this idea we're just that we've like we have known the negative effects of some of these choices that we've made health-wise and we've still made them um and that might have been because long term we felt like it was going to end up with a net positive right um but we know that you know the way that we were working it might have led to a lack of sunlight and time outside or a lack of relaxation or a lack of movement and excess stress and and those are all things that we would much prefer to do without. And so, and we've continued to try to orient our lives in that way. And, and, um, but the, the point being is that that's always going to be a work in progress and there's always more room to go there. And, um, it's not a, and, and we're obviously like the environment that we're in societally is far from ideal, um, from every direction. And that makes you know and, and it's and, not
1: getting better right now <laughs> yeah
0: it's it's and it makes it a very much an uphill battle um and that doesn't mean that there's a ton of things we can do to get from you know like one out of ten to eight out of ten but um it's yeah it's just an it's just an uphill battle and and yeah so so when it comes to certain like yeah i guess that's i don't know i don't want to harp on that too much more we talked about some of this you know this idea of like experiencing symptoms and stuff in the in that hair loss episode but I think the general points there on that front.
1: Yeah. The only thing I wanted to talk about is that, um, there was one point in time that I didn't mention because Mm -hmm. it wasn't related to diet stuff, but I actually had like a pretty severe, like depressive period when I like in my last year of school. And then after I graduated, I was Mm -hmm. like in a really, really bad state, like Mm -hmm. suicidal ideation, depression type stuff. Um, and like completely incapable, when I graduated college, like I was completely incapable of doing anything for about like four months where I just, all I did every day. And so I had money saved up because I worked in the summers and stuff like that. And I was staying, I was living with my dad at this point, but I, I did it. So I didn't have a lot of expenses. I just had to pay for my food and I didn't have health insurance. I didn't care. Like I wasn't going to go to the doctor anyway. Um, so Basically what I did was all I did for four months was I woke up in the morning, I ate and then I laid on the couch and that was it. I didn't do anything else for days because I was so burnt out from like, I had a lot of family problems go on in my last year of college and in my nursing program to become a nurse, I actually loathed the program. I didn't like what I was learning. I clashed with professors very often I didn't appreciate some of the ideologies that were being put into class. And so I'd often be in arguments with the professors about the ideologies, not only medical ideologies, like cholesterol, heart disease, hypothesis stuff, but also just like some of the, like, we had like a lot of political and social ideologies being thrusted on us in our classes like pretty strongly. And I was pretty much like pretty opposed to what some of the things they were talking about, not mm-hmm. because not on an ideologic level, But just because I was reading research about it, and I was reading statistics, and I was reading the information, it's just like this doesn't make any sense. Like there's no basis for what you're talking about. Like you're literally making stuff up. And so I'd get into arguments with them. And then besides that, I had a lot of family stuff going on with parents' divorce and family members sick and whatever else. So like I was like at some points in that time, I was going to drop out of school, but I decided I just need to finish because I knew with how nursing was going. If I didn't finish, I wasn't going to go back to that. So I just needed to get the degree as my last year, whatever it was. So I pushed through really hard and I like, like used a lot of my, my reserves, I guess, at this point in time to really hammer through that period of time. And like, regardless of what's going on, I didn't go see anybody. I wasn't seeing a doctor. I didn't go to psychologists, like my, and like, even my, like my pillars of support, like my dad, who was like the main person I would talk about with this stuff, was like having a really, really hard time too. So the only person I was talking to at this point about it was pretty much you. So it's just like you, and then that was it. <laughs> and then I was just like half the time I didn't want to talk about it because I was just, just I was just in a bad place. So essentially, like I had gone through like a really hard time with that, and I was doing dairy too, which wasn't which wasn't working out for me. And so when I graduated, I just. Yeah. Like I, I took four months to just completely do nothing. And I just, I just didn't have the energy or the will or the power to want to do anything. Just lay it on the couch, put the TV on, barely watched it. Like, and just, I don't even remember what I did because I just didn't do anything. I've like, like loosely went to the gym just because I wanted to take, keep, give myself some structured routine. So I ate consistently and went to the gym and just, that was it. And I didn't try to do anything else. And I like went on walks in the park and that was basically it. And I think I've seen this happen to quite a few other people that I know, um, where they just, they had to just take time to just un- to unwind after, uh, after like really stressful periods of time to just do nothing. And one of the things that was really important is during this time, my when I was doing that, like my dad never got on me about doing nothing. He mm-hmm. was just like, all he said at the end was, he was just like, you needed it like you need to just do nothing because what you just went through was a lot and you just need to you need to just take the time for yourself and he was cool with it and he didn't give me a hard time or anything he was just like take what time you need and then when you like when you're ready to get back to it when you're ready to start moving again like we'll start the process but just just relax (laughs) so i i because you talked about not having any like major uh psychological stuff but for me that was like that was pretty bad. Like, I know at one point in my, in my senior year, like when I was at my lowest point, like I was like hallucinating stuff and I was like in a bad, bad place. And I just, I just pushed through. Like I was just, for me, it was like a mindset thing, right? It was like, there's, this is not, I'm not going to be taken down by this stuff. Like there's nothing that was going to take me down. So it was like, there was a bit of arrogance there. And I was like, I'm just going to go through and I'm going to get it done. And we'll see what happens on the back end. And so I just pushed through like that. And then as far as like suicidal stuff, like I thought a lot about it and I had like plans and whatever else, like what I could, like I visualized things that I would do. But deep down, like I, for me, my mindset at the time was I would never do something like that. Like, it's just not who I am. Like, I'm a strong person and like, and this was like my idea of myself and I can get through anything that I want to will myself through. But the point being with that is that like it took a huge toll on me to the extent that like at 22 years old when I graduated I could physically not do anything for 4 months. So that was like a really rough period for me as well. And that was something that like ne- really negatively impacted my health as well and it took time to just recover. Like it really took that time.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. I, I know I guess I had also forgotten a period of time I mean for me it was I was much younger so it was a little different but when I was in middle school and this I think started pretty soon after I really started under eating because I went through a period of like pretty bad depression as well which I think a lot of people experienced to some extent during that time like just those kind of growth experiences but um, but nonetheless that was definitely there and I think i and that was you know i talked about like eating very very little and i think after eating at least more than that i think that did actually help looking back Um, yeah
1: like that did help things but yeah i mean you were you were there with me when i was doing that you were there like except when i was at home but you were there when in senior year when i was really out of it
0: yeah and i wanted to talk about this too a little bit more like earlier as far as like questioning things and and this uh kind of frustration and opposition with the system that we were learning through, like our education system, which I had to an extent, but yours was to a much greater degree, I know. And like that, that was, I mean, there was so much built into you going into your classes and not only being at direct opposition with your professors, but also like the people around you who were all kind of on that side as well. And I know that that was, you mentioned that a little bit, but I know that that was like a huge toll too.
1: Yeah. Cause it, well, when I was in nursing school, I had like, because I had argued with so many professors, I had gotten a reputation and like the professors would talk about me behind my back and like say a lot of negative things. Yeah. And like, even if I was going to go see a new professor, that professor would like offhand say things to me like, Oh, I heard about you, like things like that. So every day that I was going to class, which was well, eventually I stopped going. I didn't go to class. That's basically yeah. what wound up happening. Right. But every time I would walk into the building because I'd have to take tests or whatever, they would like I would there would just be this air like I would like I would like the people there like didn't like me. And my classmates like were very frustrated with me as well because they didn't like that I was arguing with my professors in class. And just like the whole the whole environment, like was just very uncomfortable and then even when i was in the hospital setting where i had to do rotations i had another good friend who i was working with and like my the dean of the school would like make recommendations to my to my uh my clinical leader who was like my preceptor the person who was watching over us while i was in the hospital and like like i would get this like special treatment in a negative way where like i had to like I couldn't be put with X number. Like I couldn't be put with my friend or I couldn't be in certain group. And I had to be like, they had to watch me extra closely and stuff like that. And it was like a, it was a really uncomfortable experience. And then just to like everywhere you go, like, like I felt like I was just like a pariah or like I was completely ostracized Mm -hmm. and like in my classes too, like, like I would walk into my class and there was one class I had gotten in an argument with over the professor um, cause he just some some petty stuff. Uh, I had art, like I didn't agree with a point of view, like, and it was it was an idea, and I was very like, if I didn't agree with something, I was very vocal about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't, cause I wasn't arguing their personalities, I was arguing an idea, and I was completely fine with like having an argument about an idea or a debate, whatever it was. But they were not okay with it, and they weren't open to that. So essentially, like the every time I walked into the class, like the professor would just. Like he would he would like pick on me in the class and stuff like that. And then we would go back and forth with each other. Mm-hmm. And I would cause I would never like lay down. And then eventually there was like other tactics that they were doing. Like when they were grading my stuff, they were like crapping on me for like little things and just like being really hard on me. It was just it was kind of like it was a pretty rough experience with that. Um so yeah, there was that and then um and then it was like all the family stuff I had going on and then we had whatever was happening with, with the girlfriends and just like it was everything just sort of like, it was like a ground zero type of thing where everything was like hit happening all at once. I was having issues with health with dairy. I was having issues with my family and my parents divorcing and family members being sick and like you can complete like schism across my entire family, like dividing up into sides and then um, whatever we were having happened with our friend group at that point in time. Cause some of the stuff that was happening with one of our roommates and then, like, breaking up with a girlfriend, like, it just all, like, hit me at once. Like, it was going well and then boom. And then I was just, like, I was just at the bottom for a while. And, like, it was, like, nowhere I was going. I was being, I was, like, I felt okay. Like, I couldn't go home to talk about things. We had, we had like, issues going on with whatever we had going on in the house at that point. Um And then, like, I couldn't go to class because <laughs> I was just being completely craft on by my professors. It was just... It was bad. And that, I mean, but I think the experi that experience, like, I think having the experience of what was happening in class and seeing how the professors were, was actually very enlightening and very helpful to understand, like, how, the, what, the, at least University of Miami was, what, like, a number 34 university in the country or something like that? Like, it was one of the bigger universities. and. To see like how the people, the professors, like the supposed intellectuals, were acting was just ridiculous. It was just like a petty politic party with a bunch of a bunch of people just like flexing on their points of views with no, I know there was nothing about like let's have a conversation about something or let's talk about a point of view. Everything was like I'm right. Be quiet and. Then the other thing was, I don't know where they were getting their information from, but it wasn't supported by, like a lot of it wasn't supported by current research or research in general. And they were like discussing things as, as fact rather than like, this is a theory. Everything was like, oh, this is the fact, like, this is how it goes. And then when they started mixing in ideology, that's when it was just like, okay, this is ridiculous now. Like, you guys aren't even talking about research now. You're talking about ideological points of view and political points of view. That is not what your job is. your Your job is not here to educate us or indoctrinate us politically. Like that's pathetic. And I remember just having this point of view about it, and it just like this. I remember like going to class, like not going to class, and professors giving me a hard time about it, and just being like, "Why would I go to class? It's a waste of time." And then to sort, of, and then also having the point of view is like I'm paying for this education, so if I'm paying, I'm saying right. If I'm going to pay for this, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do what I what's going to work for me to get the grades that I need to get. And sitting in your class while you trying to indoctrinate me with whatever is is not helping me. Just give me the book, tell me what the test is, when the test is, and then we'll be fine. And I know you experienced some of that with your professors too, but I don't think it was it was as potent because mine was more like very much like in the medical sphere. And so it had, there was a lot more about like they were preparing us to go work in the hospital and be how they wanted us to be instead of Mm -hmm. like just providing information. So it was a little different, but yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I definitely had professors that were more open to a large extent and um, I might not have agreed with their views, but they're at least open to discussions on it. Some weren't, but yeah, it's, it definitely says a lot as far as like, I don't know, just that questioning things isn't tolerated. in in a lot of those spheres and especially as you said getting into the medical system more and and we've of course had our you've i mean that was such a great framework to see you know like a a preview of what we're going to experience when we start you know publicly saying some things like this and then you know whether it's i've had it quite often whether it's like friends or colleagues or you know acquaintances who are in medical school or are doctors um, uh, some of which who are some of whom are like very open to these things and on board, but others who are extremely dogmatic and uh, kind of react like your professor reacted and and we talked that actually was part of what inspired a couple of episodes that we did talking about some of the failures with the modern medical system, so I'll link to those. but yeah, it's it it says a lot as far as that kind of framework and and what's really going on there. Another thing I wanted to point out, you were talking about how, when you would bring up an alternative point, like you would, it, you know, it would become this like personal sparring match with, uh, yeah. with the professor. And it, it's, it's funny because you and I, when we're talking, you know, maybe it's talking about some topic that we're going to talk about in the podcast or some, some other like scientific topic or, or like even political, ideological, psychological, like we have conversations about these things and we don't agree a lot of times. And then, and we like argue about it. We debate about it. Like, and sometimes it gets intense, but it never like, there's it's never, never anything. ad
1: homin. It's right. never like I I'm mad at you. It's just like, okay, let's hammer this out.
0: <laughs> right. And there's so much growth that comes from those things. Like we and we don't always end up on the exact same page, but we we at least evolve our thinking because we have an opposite view. We you know, you try to poke holes in the other persons, and there's so much growth that comes from that. That to have an entire education system where you're supposed to be learning to be, you know, missing out on that. It's like, what? What is education really, other than regurgitation at that point? But
1: well, and that's really what it turned out to be. And right. then, I know both of us, like, towards our last two years of school, we're sort of done with it. Like, it was the first year it was like, oh, we're gonna get good grades, and then after that, it was sort of like, wow, this is kind of a waste of time because we were just like, I remember once I got to nursing, especially the indoctrination mm-hmm. and the BS just like skyrocketed right? Because before I was, I started pre-med classes and then that was like mostly hard sciences stuff. So the hard sciences were just, you know, there's this theory, there's this theory, like you have to understand this, you have to understand that. And I was completely cool with that. And then I, I was doing, uh, I did my psychology, uh, the second degree was psych. And like in psych, I took a lot of neuroanatomy and a lot of like heuristics courses and a lot of social psychology. So just like, like, and I was all just like, check out this interesting study. And like, this is what this study said. And like, these are the heuristics they've uncovered. It was like, let me show you this stuff. Like none mm-hmm. of it was like an ideology to a large extent. I mean, some of, there was some of that in there, but like you could largely ignore it, you mm-hmm. know, because it, it wasn't the central theme. The central theme was like discussing research. Like that was the psych stuff was pretty heavy on that. And then the hard sciences were just like, this is the theory, <laughs> right? Like. You need to understand all these different theories so that you can do X, Y, like you can do X, Y, Z. So, I mean, there were, like there wasn't as much room for debate with some of that stuff at this point. Um, it was only once we started getting into like medics, like the medical stuff and where you talked about like drugs and pharma companies and whatever. And it wasn't even talking about pharma companies, it was just like the drug ideas and then like the whole nursing theories and then like just like the treatment pathways and everything else that I was going into there, like there was so much BS and fluff added into that, that it just became like it was on another level. And that was essentially like what it got to like in the medical sphere too. like once I got into the hospital into medicine, like there was just it was just like there's one way to think there's this religion and that's it. And like any thinking outside that that box is not rewarded. Like you are like literally like you're a quack, you're a pariah, you're X, Y, Z. Right. So you get labeled. So you just have to follow the course and be quiet and that's it. Yeah. And people make a lot of arguments without, without any sound basis. And like, yeah, it's just like a big hierarchy, dominant structure of indoctrination. Whoever knows the most amount of indoctrination or plays the, the game, the best is kind of like sits at the top. And that was my experience. Nursing school is like a primer for that. And I, I learned real quick to just shut my mouth. <laughs> well, not too quick. <laughs> well, after school, like I didn't yeah. even, I was it, I was done. I was like, there's, there's no like having a conversation about anything. And it's not to say that all, all doctors or nurses or anyone was like that. Like there's a lot of really awesome doctors who I worked with who like I would ask them questions and they would love to like teach about things and we would have conversations and they would explain things. It was awesome. Like that was awesome. But on the flip side and some nurses were interested in talking about things. Most of them don't care. Most of the ones that in my experience didn't really care that much. It was more like, like, let me just let, let me just get through my shift type of stuff. But there were some doctors like that. And some of them were just like, like monumental. <laughs> they just weren't, weren't, like nice people to be around just like the way it was about things but the hospital structures too were kind of depending on which hospital i was in it was like very hierarchical like that and it was just follow the protocol and be quiet like that was kind of the way it was right
0: and and so like contextualizing this i think it's the reason why i wanted to like i I wanted to talk about some of that is because of how important we realized prior to you getting into nursing school which was the later part of your college Like you didn't get into the nursing classes until later
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know learning about so much of these things from like learning about ray Pete and a lot of his work helped i think to inform us a lot and help to prepare us a lot for those sorts of things and um, helped us to continue questioning what we were learning what we're being taught but also ourselves and like what we were experiencing Uh, you obviously were also helpful just for me as far as like listening to your body and helping me with that Um, because i would you know i would tend towards the regimented side and just following whatever i was not necessarily what i was told but what like was supposed to be best Um, you know and and ray pete talks about how the only real protocol or the only reasonable one is perceive think act and Mm -hmm. like i think that like that's kind of what we're getting at here is that you know, kind of shedding that dogmatism and, and being able to question things is all part of that process and listening to your body. And, and those were things that beyond talking about the nutrition and the supplements and this, even the sleep and I guess somewhat the stress, um, even outside of those things, this is such a creates such a shift like in health and mindset, which go so tightly hand in hand, um, and just makes such a big difference for progress and for moving forward. And so. Uh, you know, and looking at things as experiments and that kind of helps take some of the pressure off as well and, uh, helps you actually learn from what you're doing so that you're moving forward as opposed to just taking side steps. So yeah, I I thought that in addition to just going through our own journeys, as far as what happened, actual health wise, I mean, this is just such a huge part of, of health as well.
1: Yeah. And I think that, I think something that is really important that I see like working with people now from my own experience, from us doing stuff together. And then seeing people in the hospital, following how you feel and like really listening to what your body's telling you is extremely important. And that'll give you a lot of the best information. You can do a lot of testing and all that stuff and it's helpful, but it's just a snapshot in time. Whereas if you're continually feeling what's going on with your body and you take time to develop a connection with your body and actually move your consciousness just from right here down lower and sort of see what's going on. I know it sounds a little woo woo. I don't think it's necessarily woo-woo, I, like it, regardless of how it sounds, but you can really get a sense of what's going on. You can really see what's wrong. You can start to... And while you might not immediately get it, over time, the more you listen, the more you can start to put things together and see how different things are affecting you and and see where you're going to go and what you're going to do and, and try and experiment. And, and like essentially, the goal is to create your own protocol, your own toolbox that works for you your own lifestyle that works for you. And so all that I think that we've really done is we've researched a lot of different things. We've tried them out. We've we've taken a lot of rays, large picture and we've really spent time to understand it as well as the larger pictures of some of the other uh, popular ideas that's going on, whether that's paleo whatever it is and then also taking concepts from modern medicine and basically pulling from all different areas, having a big picture there and then experimenting and testing and seeing like how things go and, and being aware of ourselves. And, and that's, that's really what I think the process is for, for pretty much everyone is to, is to see how you feel, gather, gather valid, good information. There is good and bad information, right? There's, there's definitely wrong information out there and, over time, you get better at discerning it, the more you become aware of yourself and you try different things, right? Like w- as soon as the carnivore craze came out, both you and I were never like, Oh, you know, Pete's wrong. We should hop on carnivore. Cause it's like, we already tried doing the low carb, like heavier meat stuff. And right, we already had an understanding of the physiology around what was going on. And right. we already saw the differences between lower carb and higher carb and different types of carbs. So we had a context to be able to provide information for, to, it, right. Or to be able to have an input around the, around carnivore without actually having to specifically do it, even though I did it a little bit. So it wasn't a hundred percent carnivore, but, and that wasn't because in the instance of doing carnivore, the other thing is the more stuff that we've, that we've done, we've gotten out of the, the idea of like being a part of an ideology and getting more into the sense of like, what makes sense, what works. And we're going to keep that. And then we're going to toss out, at least for now, the stuff that we aren't finding that works or that doesn't make sense. And maybe we'll get, maybe we'll get back around to it at another point in time. Right. And then retest it or whatever else. And there's like a lot of valuable, nuanced lessons that you learn when you go through all of these trial and error and experiments and whatever, what else, whatever else, (laughs) whatever else you want to categorize this stuff as that aren't necessarily like learning a new physiologic concept. It's more like, like gaining wisdom to some extent about yourself and how things work. Right. So like, like the idea of doubling down where it's like, if this is, if this isn't working, then I must do more. Right. Or the idea of if, if one thing is good for you, then more of it must be better. Like you've changed from that perspective to, okay, what's the, what's the effective dose with the best benefit and the least amount of side effects and does it make sense and what makes sense in the large picture right so does what is what you're using make sense in your in your larger overall picture and what is that optimal dose you sort of like you start to learn more things like that that become really helpful and then obviously one of the most important ones that we've touched on quite a bit is really listening to yourself and listening to how you feel and trying to make sense of it instead of rationalizing or ignoring it
0: yeah uh one thing that I really like that you talked about there was kind of the how now we would see some other diet, maybe you call it a fat diet or not. I mean, what's the difference whether you call it that? But you, know, you say, see something like carnivore and we wouldn't be tempted to go towards that now. And I think, yes, listening to our body is part of that. And another huge part of that is actually the understanding of physiology. And it made me think of how throughout all this time, and I know you had this as well to an extent, uh, we were always... Like our diets were varying a lot, you know, go from whole grains and raw nuts and seeds to white rice, let's say, you know, and, and paleo. And so the people around us would be seeing these shifts and not, you know, and just be seeing it from the outside mm. and just thinking it was like some ridiculousness and we're just jumping from one diet to the next. And it just kind of there's no reason to, like, consider anything that we're saying because it's just going to change in a minute. I would get that a lot, like with family. Uh, yeah. Where it's like, oh, like, what what are you eating this week? And <laughs> which is fine i mean it's but but one thing that really helped along the way was building the understanding to the because so even throughout low carb and paleo like i mean it was all built in compared to before but it was on such a different level from i would say the understanding of physiology like the depth that with which we understand and can contextualize these different diets and it's those things are not quick. It's not a quick thing to build that picture. It takes a lot of time and and it takes effort. But those are going to be the things that allow you to recognize it's going to be a huge part of the picture to allow you rec- to recognize what's what makes sense and what doesn't and help you prevent you know, help prevent you from just jumping onto the next diet, you know, going vegan tomorrow or something because there's, you know somebody around you talked about their benefits with it. Yeah. And, and that's, that's really important, too. And I think it also prevents missteps along the way. Um, you know, you're going to be less likely to, you know, and it helps you. I don't want to say stick to it as if it's some diet that you have to stick to where there's nothing wrong with eating a piece of pizza if that's what you decide is, is the best option for you or just the option that you want to make at that point. But it's actually understanding what goes into that, those choices. And that makes the choices a lot easier than feeling like you're on some sort of a diet that you have to restrict to. Um, but rather understanding that you feel better when you're eating whatever it is that you're doing, or not eating whatever it is, and also that you understand the physiology there, just it makes it all a lot easier, and it also adds a lot of stability, um, and helps. I think helps you reach what I would consider would be truth faster. You know, you're talking about correct and incorrect information, and the more that you understand, to whatever extent you can, uh, the easier it is to discern those things.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I just think this reminds me of. The idea that like something that I feel like both your dad and my dad talked about at some point was like everything in moderation, mm-hmm. and it's just like such cop out answers. Then yeah. something that we've always talked about, where it's like I don't know what's gonna, I don't know exactly what's best, so I'm just gonna do a little bit of everything so that I don't. It's like the shotgun approach, it's, like so sure. I don't have yeah. a problem, right? Yeah. And I feel like it's like while we have gone through some things that have both made us like suffer quite a bit, mm-hmm. at the back end we've been able to figure out things from that suffering and from, and it's not even suffering. It was just painful learning. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just like through some of that painful learning, we are able to really um, uncover pretty, like I remember every time I learned something like from one of those experiments, just like that aha moment, just, it felt so good. It's like, Oh, I I get it now. I understand why, you know, I understand why this X, Y, Z caused X, Y, and Z. And then it's like, Oh, now I can make this change here. So it's like, Another, it's like another piece that add to the puzzle. And sometimes Mm -hmm. when you're doing that, sometimes you think you have a piece at first, and it fits into the puzzle, but not a hundred percent. And then like you have to, then you do an adjustment, and it's like, aha, this is the piece. And it's like sometimes your pieces will adjust a little bit. But but building the puzzle, building the picture overall, you know, it's at a certain like when you first start, you're sort of you're like a little bit gung ho about it because you don't know what can happen. Mm-hmm. And then it's like that U-shape curve. Then you hit right. the bottom and it's like, you know what can happen. And you know, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, there's so much more to go. I don't know what to do. And then as you start to like build more, more momentum from the bottom and you start reaching to the other side of the curve for like your knowledge level with things that you start to really make it that difference in your implementation and your understanding and what you can do for yourself and like creating a sense around it of like, I'm figuring out what works for me. I'm figuring out a plan or I'm figuring out a protocol that works for me, something that I can use going forward. It's my lifestyle, right? Like something very, very specific to you. Not that it's, it's, oh, I'm paleo, right? In the sense that, oh, this ideology or this framework, that's me. It's more like you're creating something of your own.
0: All right, that's going to wrap up this series discussing our health journeys. If you did enjoy it, please leave a like or comment. If you're watching on YouTube, and if you're listening elsewhere, please leave a five-star rating or a review on iTunes. All of those things really do a lot to help support the podcast and are very much appreciated. To check out these show notes for today's episode, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com podcast, where you can take a look at these studies or articles or anything else that we discussed throughout today's episode. And if you are dealing with any of the symptoms that we experienced throughout our health journeys, whether that is insomnia or low libido or depression or weight gain or joint pain or anxiety or cold hands and feet or bloating or allergies or histamine intolerance or psoriasis or various infectious issues or any other low energy symptoms or chronic health conditions, whether that's diabetes or autoimmune issues or heart disease, then head over to jfeldmanwellness.com energy where you can sign up for a free energy balance mini-course where I'll explain how these different symptoms and conditions are really caused by a lack of energy. And I'll also walk you through the main things that you can do from a diet and lifestyle perspective to maximize your cellular energy and resolve these symptoms and conditions. So to sign up for that free energy balance mini-course, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com energy. And with that, I'll see you in the next episode.